Hello and welcome to Everything Interesting Under the Sun. I'm your host, Ethan Clark. Today, there is a special guest joining us, Robert Clark, or as I know him, my dad. No introduction will do him the justice, so I'll skip any intro for this episode. In that case, let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with my dad. Hello there, Pops. I'm glad to have you joining me. Yeah, great to be here. That was quite an introduction. Uh, a lot of water under the bridge there, but yeah, I, I admit I'm your dad. Yeah, sadly you are. Sadly you are. Well, yeah. let's get to it. Yeah, so uh, in the area, thought we'd uh, share a podcast together, some interesting topics. Uh, one of them uh, is around uh, uh, the evolution of aging in somebody uh, somebody's life um it's an interesting topic i'm living through now um i'm a wee bit older than ethan and so i have a little bit to share and and counterpoint um so what do you think uh, some of the concerns are around or, or some of the thoughts are going through my brain with regards to age uh, ageism or aging what do you mean by that well i mean you know you are i'll say the the younger generation uh, what, what do you think my concerns are or my observations might be? Just, you know, in, in 20 seconds or less, and then I'll kind of uh, fill in my, my part after that. I mean, I would just assume if I was in your position, I would want to see my children grow up to their 100 years or whatever their extent of their life is, and then I want to see their grandchildren. In addition to that, I would like to see all these different technological pursuits come to their end, like artificial intelligence, Neuralink, Metaverse, oh, okay. space exploration. Well, there, there's that, but uh, I guess on a more personal note, you know, having uh, been in Ethan's shoes and now in my own, um, I am 57 years old, and some of the things, uh, the ways my body is starting to creak now uh, is becoming obvious that uh, people Ethan's age wouldn't realize. Uh, things like, um, you know, out in the sun, that uh, my, uh, the skin in my forearms are, are becoming uh, gator skin, <laughs> things of those sorts. But, uh, you know, those are just some of the lead-ins. Um, to me, you know, this whole topic is, is around, you know, feeling old. What, what, what are the components of it? Is it your mind, your body, or, or circumstance? And that's, that's really the essence of what I'd want to explore today. Well, let's get into it then. What makes you so passionate about it? You, I answered it myself. You, what is your answer? You said the crocodile or alligator skin, but in a more personal note, in a more mental note, what makes you in, so interested in it? Well, everybody wants to live forever or at least uh, have a quality of life. In other words, uh, is, it, is it good to be 110 and been bedridden for the last 20 years? I'm not sure. So, you know, in some ways, I'd, I'd try to be as vital uh, as I could be for as long as I can be. And so, you know, in, in that, and I'm, I'm trying to tease apart what that means to me. And so, um, i give you some uh, examples. That uh, one fellow I know, he's 94 years old. He is a sharp mind, but uh, he, is, uh, he, is, uh, he saunters right he's he's aged 
and he's had a few kids, a lifetime of happiness, but now his kids are all in other parts of the, the country. So, you know, you can see that he is, um, he is old. <laughs> Let's just say that, right? Um, so, you know, one then brings up, well, maybe a, a component of this uh, aging thing is the notion of having someone to care for who is a dependent. And in this fellow's case, uh, his wife had passed and, and, uh, and such. So, you know, he has no dependents. Therefore, he's allowed to just kind of wither away. And so maybe that's one of the, the, the uh, elements of, of counteracting withering away. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, yeah, definitely. I think circumstances, in a sense, dictate how you're going to act in this world. If, you're, if people are expecting of you to be just be an old fart, to not be doing anything, to just be sitting on the couch watching TV, then yeah, you're in your mind, you're going to start thinking that, oh, everybody thinks this of me, so why, why should I do anything else? This is kind of just the path of least resistance, so therefore I'm going to continue doing that. But what, in your case, what measures do you take to prevent your... Well, if I could, um, before we get to that mm -hmm. point, if we may, just so some of the other commentary on that. So if, uh, imagine an example of a 65-year-old woman, right? She, she's a grandmother, and uh, she's, she's happy in her life, and she's doing grandmotherly things. So all of a sudden, her, her, uh, her granddaughter or whomever passes away, and she now is the only uh, port in the storm to, um, to raise the grandchild, who happens to be eight years old. Now all of a sudden, this 65-year-old has to raise an eight-year-old. She has to step up her game. There is a new dependent, right? And so the things she wouldn't have done before, she has to get out of her comfort zone. She has to participate in school PTAs and, and uh, you know, doing homework and all of that. In other words, because she has a dependent, she is now living a larger life than she would have otherwise. That's, that might be one example, right? That, you know, so um, on another note, um, if you think of uh, the body, Right. There are a lot of uh, impaired. Uh, uh, my first example was this fellow, the 93 year old, has an impaired body. Right. And you can see that he's sauntering and such shuffling. Whereas uh, there are other uh, counterpoints where there's a 20 year old with an impaired body, but he's not old. He's just impaired. And so there's that uh, there's that uh, input into this whole discussion. Um, and then finally, you know, it's uh, how, how, uh, how you train your mind around these things. Um, I found that, uh, you know, people sort of accept their circumstance and, and get, um, you know, uh, train their, their, their mind accordingly. So over time, their, their willingness to do things diminishes. What's your thoughts on that? I mean, I agree. That's kind of speaking to what I was saying about your circumstances. Like, yeah. as you get older, you have less of a responsibility. You kind of just, you've already put in your time, so you can now just enjoy life. And that, mm -hmm. I think, is what contributes to the aging process. Obviously, there are other factors, such as nutrition, exercise, all these things. But on a mental note, I think your responsibility, your dependency, your, your actions, these all contributes to mm. your mental age. And I think yeah. 
there's a difference between your mental age, your physical age, your uh, what those the yeah. only two I can think yeah. of. But there's definitely a difference between those two, and the difference lies within how you carry yourself. Yeah, so, as, and, in terms and of so mentally myself, given my age, my advanced age, um, you know, I, I'm making a few conscious uh, uh, plays or, or s stances. For one, uh, I do try to stay as athletic as possible. So that means that, uh, um, you know, any time that, uh, you know, it's, uh, the easy choice is to do something, I, I tend to do the more strenuous option. So for example, going upstairs, I, I typically try to run upstairs when I can, just because, you know, it, it, it's a more vital activity. Um, secondarily, walking, right? You know, we're always walking everywhere, but uh, you can saunter along and, and leisurely walk. But I, I believe strongly that, uh, you know, a brisk walk everywhere is, is a good habit because such habits entrenched in your mind at 50 ideally carry along to your 70 and 80. And so brisk walking is the gateway to a lot of other mobility uh, challenges. Uh, uh, challenges. Um, my mom was pretty heroic athletically. Um, brisk walking was among that. Uh, my dad, on the other hand, wasn't a brisk walker. So by the time he was 75, you saw when he walked, he was shuffling, right? To me, shuffling as, as an older person is a sign that they're not long for this world, right? So me purposely trying to ingrain a habit of walking briskly all the time when I can. Thoughts? To play the devil's advocate here, would you say, I mean, you have a, a sample size of two people, so would you say <laughs> correlation equals causation here? I mean, I, just based on your sample size, it, there's a high possibility of this just being a correlation between the circumstances of Nanny or my grandmother walking fast and her extended lifespan. Like, it could have been just her genes or her biological innards, or yeah, biological innards that were superior to my grandfather, mm -hmm. Grandfie's. Like, you don't know that. It could just be true circumstances. But I, I guess in, in a larger thing, I mean, you know, I can't comment that this is going to extend your life. But, you know, I think that there is a sort of uh, suggestive uh, evidence that uh, a more active life uh, longer um, gives you a higher quality of life. So in other words, yes, I could live to 100, but if I'm bedridden, for 20 of those years, that's not much of a life for me, right? I'd rather be, you know, walking and hiking and doing these things uh, till I'm 98 sort of thing. That, that's a much uh, better quality of life from my perspective. I think there is, uh, you know, enough um, uh, uh, industry knowledge around the benefits of, of an active lifestyle. And I think they don't, they don't promise longer life, but they, they promise a, a more uh, active life, and some would say a more meaningful life. And that's, that's the goal I would uh, reach for. So, you know, a couple things is uh, just uh, walking briskly whenever I can, at every opportunity, running upstairs when I can. Uh, when we go for hikes with uh, my friends and I, and I find a hill, I, I try to... 
uh, run up it when I every time. If nothing else, just to be selfish and show up the other people who are not running up the hill. <laughs> I can definitely see where Andrew gets it from. <laughs> yeah. So, so that that's uh, some of the ideas. So, you know, I see that you know there's a lot of components to how vital one feels at, at a, uh, an older age. I do think that um, uh, having a dependent really pulls you into the, the maelstrom of life again, um, which is good. Um, an active lifestyle, doing these th things athletically, and I think in some ways you might agree that, that with more athletics in older age, um, you may have a better cardiovascular metabolic system, which would help your thought processes possibly. So it seems you have the, the exercise dimension all figured out, but what about the nutrition? What about um, sleep? What about all these other things that you're not considering? Well, uh, um, you know, as far as, as food, you know, um, I'm not one so much as to count calories, as you can see by my waistline. But, um, you know, I, I also think that the, the only way to lose weight is to manage your diet. Exercise doesn't really help given the, uh, how much uh, uh, calories you can ingest in one sitting versus how many hours of running you need to remove them. So it, athletics is certainly, you know, to me, not, not the way to keep um, uh, smaller. <laughs> as, we, as in a nation, you know, we all tend to be a, a bit obese. You know, it is really important, I think, to get a good habit earlier on. And sadly, maybe I don't have the best habits, right? But, uh, you know, uh, even now, I think um, at this advanced age of 57 years, um, I, I see that uh, there's a much larger benefit for me personally, I, I believe, in developing and, and keeping cardiovascular fitness as opposed to muscle at toning, mm -hmm. right? Uh, cardiovascular works with everything. It, it, uh, if it's well-developed, potentially it abates any uh, um, metabolic diseases such as diabetes and, and these sorts of things. Um, so that's where I'm putting my investments, right, is in cardiovascular. Things like that. Um, and so part of that is acting young or, or be daring. And so I think another element that we didn't touch on was um, about, you know, it's very easy for someone in a comfortable life to be sitting on the sofa and... and uh, when one does that a lot, um, somebody says, hey, let's go out and kick a ball. Uh, I'd rather not kick a ball. I'll just sit here a little bit. And every time the person says, I'll just sit here a little bit, it, it grooms him for doing more of that. So over time, he's doing less and less because he he's rejects one thing, so his brain is going to be more likely to reject it the second time and third time. So another thing I do try to do is, uh, you know, get on my feet as much as possible at every opportunity. So, you know, participate, because in participation, you're typically, well, tragically, um, involving yourself athletically with younger people, because people my age typically don't get off the sofa. <laughs> right? 
And so, as, as uh, you, uh, you're aware, Ethan, I've recently signed up to uh, Ultimate Frisbee at my advanced age. So that's highly athletic, too. And uh, I think 98% of people my age would think you're nuts, but, you know, it, it, it's a cardiovascular exercise all the way. So how do you think that these, uh, these components interact? What is more significant and less significant? How, how do you think they all tie together? That's, that's the nut of it that I'm trying to resolve. Um, well, I definitely have been interested in health span, <laughs> lifespan over the past two months. And this analogy I've heard pretty frequently is that the, to increase health span is essentially a stool, like a three-legged stool. If you have one leg, like one leg being exercise, like the stool mm -hmm. can't stand up. If you have two legs, the second leg could be nutrition. The stool is not going to, it can stand up, but it's not going to be very stable. Then the third leg, I forget what the third leg is in this analogy. I'm going to guess and say it's sleep. Like all these yeah. three things can com uh, combine and work together to increase the lifespan. And I, I'm not saying any one is more important. I'm, I just think every single one of them you should focus on. And it seems to me that you are only mm -hmm. mainly focusing on exercise. But I think okay. nutrition is a very important thing as well. I, oh, yeah. I personally have been very interested in nutrition. And throughout this time, I've been doing a lot of research, reading articles on different things. And I've come to realize the state of nutrition, the state of nutrition science, the education on nutrition in North America, in Nova Scotia, in Arizona. The things that they're teaching you are completely incorrect. For instance, if I remember correctly, uh, the idea of fat, like fat is what is said to make you fat. Well, that is not true at all. The same thing with cholesterol. Cholesterol is said to be very bad for you, but that is not mm -hmm. true at all. The like These misconceptions that everybody just carries. Like I know a lot of my friends, they like health conscious friends, they care about the nutrition facts. They always look at the fat, like, oh, okay. if this has too much fat, I'm not going to eat it. But that's not actually the reality of it. Can we uh, do a, a 10 second or a one minute? Can we name all the misconceptions in nutrition that we can think of? Yes, let's, I mean, I, I'll let's go for it. Let's okay. do that. Okay, you, you give one, I'll give back and forth. Okay, well, just... The first one? The first one, right off the bat, is fat. Fat does not make you fat. Fat is probably one of the most important macronutrients that is necessary for life. What, what's your next one? Yeah, and the fact that, uh, you know, compounding that, you know, everybody's trying to eat more and more protein. Well, a, a, a gram of carbohydrates and a gram of protein have the same calories. Nobody knows that, <laughs> right? So when they talk about, you know, uh, junk food and good food, well, um, everybody wants protein because it's good, but it's the same amount of calories. I'm going to push back on that, though. I don't think calories are the whole picture. They're, like, it's been, from what my, my studies have been... Well, Jot it down. We'll come back to that. Okay, right? okay. But we're still doing the uh, the rapid round here. Uh, the misconceptions. The That's okay. right. Um, next one, just another one that I recently was reading about. is cholesterol. Like the cholesterol. Recently in Canada, I learned that cholesterol has been taken off the nutrition facts because the 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 cholesterol you ingest is not actually the or only twenty percent of it is what your body uses. The rest of it is just recycled through your body. So. The cholesterol you're eating really does not have that much of an effect on the cholesterol in your body. And that is something that I'm sure nobody realizes. And this is a very important thing because 
cholesterol has been made to be the devil. Like, oh, you should. There's the hot, the HDL and the LDL, and HDL is bad, LDL is good. But your realistically, body manufactures most of it. Yeah, you realistically, they're both very necessary. They're both not really consumed through food. They're just created through your body. Exactly what you said. Yeah, um, so um, let's see, uh, another uh, uh, misleading fact, okay, uh, let's talk about hair for a moment, (laughs) right? Um, You know, a a couple things there. One is um, uh, hair is not alive, contrary to everybody's belief and all the advertisements. You know, hair is not alive. It's it's, uh, uh, carotene produced by... by, uh, um, Hair, hair follicles and sebaceous glands. They're dead. It's like your, your toenails. They're dead. So, you know, buying products to improve the healthier hair is silly. Over to you. Next one, I'd say, the, I, I'm really interested in fasting. And the <clears throat> conception of fasting is that it's just mumbo jumbo. People that are like all interested in nutrition. I mean, I, I just the conception of fasting is that it's very niche and it's not really dece- or not necessary for everyone. But in my opinion, fasting is essentially a panacea for not everything, but for a lot of things. And it's a natural thing too. You just need to extend the period of time where you're not eating to decrease the period of time where you are eating. And that, that alone has been shown, it's been linked to increased lifespan. It's been linked to increase your uh, prevention of illnesses such as cancer, Alzheimer's, all these mental illnesses. This alone, I think if people were to adopt this habit, I think our world would be much more healthy. I know this is a quite a blanket statement generalization, but I truly stand by this. I truly think fasting mm-hmm. is one of the most important natural things that we could Can I add to pick that? up on. Go for it. Well, being that, you know, I, I think of if, if you're into evolution, <laughs> right? if you're into uh, the history of man, you know, a thousand years ago, most of the peasants in the, on the planet were in, in a half state of starvation, right? You know, think of uh, when we were hunter-gatherers, it's not every day would I be killing the moose, it's, you know, uh, even encountering a moose every other uh, week may be rare. So, and think of the uh, aboriginals here, right? You know, they're, they're um, in the woods, you know, you're typically eating berries and, and nuts and anything you can get, you know. Uh, and I point you to that series Survivor Man, right, who is always on, the, on one step away from death. The point is, over the last 10,000 years or 50,000 years, um, human beings were never well fed. That's why our body is so good at putting fat on when we get any food. So, so fasting just brings us back to that because our, our body is built for fasting. And I completely agree with that. I, anytime I bring up fasting, I always <laughs> mention from a... Uh, of evolution or primal perspective, we were not eating three meals a day. So why do we feel like we needed to eat three meals a day for fuel now? Like we are still the same, for the most part, the same people that we were back then. And these people were thriving. So why can't I, why can't we do that? I don't have any more for this lightning round. Oh do yeah, you have I, any I I have a couple more. Let's hear so them. over the last hundred years, food has become very energy dense because it's very easy in a factory to crack oil and and add. Uh, add uh, uh, corn syrup to every high fructose corn uh, 
to everything. So every, uh, every food we buy now, unless it's produce, has been injected with uh, um, sweeteners, salts, and fat, right? And, so, and what does that do? It just increases our, our, our waistline and decreases our lifespan. So that's, uh, you know, really focused in on uh, consumption of produce, fruit and vegetables, and, and really try to avoid boxed food of every stripe. It would be a good thing. So that's one, one more item in the lightning round. And, and a final one, if I can't think of any more, is um, skin and skin care. If you look at the biology of how skin is made, you know, you have uh, skin cells that are actually emerging to the surface. And as they emerge from the third layer of dermis onward, upward, uh, they, became, they, 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 they become keratinized. So in other words, um, uh, the cell, uh, the skin cell has more strands of keratin in it to the point where um, the, the cell actually dies, the, the nucleus is gone, and that, that becomes now uh, basically a, a, a structure of keratin only. And so if you look uh, through this, uh, um, a cross-section of skin, the first uh, seven or eight layers of skin cells are all dead. Um, so then we have cosmetics about uh, cleansing uh, uh, skin, uh, 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 chemo cleansing and stripping away dead layers of skin. Well, to me, those layers of skin are there for a purpose. Uh, you know, skin, it's, it's meant to be impermeable so no chemicals get through it and, all the, and, and viruses can't get through it and all of that. And yet you're removing, you know, much of the defensive layer off the skin to make it bright and shiny, right? So, you know, I'm, I'm not much of a believer in skin peels, put it that way. <laughs> Any other uh, lightning round items? No, I'm all finished here. I would like to take a step back and going back to lifespan. Recently, I read this thing about uh, nematode cryo cryopreservation, and I was wondering... Well, can you spell that, please? Which part? The nematode cryopreservation. N-E-M-A. <laughs> okay, no worries. That was a big word, so I had to challenge you on spelling it. But nematode cryopreservation. In this, I read a research paper on this yesterday, and I learned that nematodes are able to be cryopreserved, and then when they get thawed out and they come back to life, they still have their memory that they had prior to being cryopreserved. Wow. This is blew my mind. This is amazing. And this was done in 2015, this study. So I'm assuming the science on this has advanced quite a, quite a bit since then. I'm curious, would you, if you had the opportunity, would you preserve your body for, for uh, revival in future years? This cathedral? Of course! <laughs> we, we need to put me up and, and sell tickets. <laughs> but uh, it, more to the point, you know, um, you know, preserving the body, I guess, and you're saying, and the mind. Now imagine, uh, you know, there's different circumstances, right? Uh, you wake up in a thousand years and things are totally different. Things would be totally better or totally worse. That's a gamble. Are you willing to risk it? Or are you saying, no, this was good in the context and the environment I was in, I'm happy, happy to move to the great beyond and not to be resuscitated a thousand years from now is one example. 
So, no, I, I don't think I would uh, do that myself, right? Because it, it uh, you know, I see too many opportunities for dystopian futures <laughs> that I wouldn't have any control over. So, uh, from that, that aspect, no. So, if you had the opportunity to end your life as you become revitalized, you would still say no? Like, if you're... If you, get revived into this world of pure dystopian fiction and this is your new reality you can obviously you'd still end your life i mean unless you're a digital copy of your brain out of which who knows if that's the case but if you were a physical form you could still end your life would you still be against that well i mean there, again even that is a um, a risk i mean there are a lot of circumstances where you couldn't do that yourself right you know, think of Matrix, <laughs> right? You know, you're all wired up. Um, uh, you know, and there's there's enough. Um, you know, there's. I don't want to segue into a different discussion, but you know, there's um, some some uh, concerns about you know what is worse than the the, the uh, extinction of a species, and that is uh, that is uh, being prevented from being extinguished and being exploited in, in an, uh, a heinous way in perpetuity. And, and there are uh, f- future uh, possibilities around that, right? You know, it, uh, um, so, I mean, it, to guard against that, I don't want to be a, a, a factory chicken, for example, <laughs> which is one of those analogies. Um, but, you know, uh, back to uh, the, the ageism discussion, Right, you know, uh, you know, none of us are perfect, but uh, but you know, really trying to have a, an active lifestyle for as long as I can, and to and you know, your your ticker can fall over at any time, and you can go kaput, right? But or get hit by a bus. But in lieu of that, um, ha- having an active life lifestyle, I think, is important and. To me, I think it's important uh, not to do that alone, right? You know, have have people around that are participating in that. Um, the more you can do that, the more vital you are, and I think that will, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, remove the possibilities of having metabolic diseases in the future. You know, the the high blood pressure, the uh, diabetes, and all of that. You know, active. Um, uh, case in point, you know, I, I did have high blood sugar and uh, or pre-diabetic and with, uh, um, with further uh, exercise that was abated. Uh, similar to uh, I had a high salt uh, um, level uh, at the same time and that was a dietary thing, I had uh, avoided that. So... I'm not big on medicines. I'm, I'm big on trying to use my body in a wise way to alleviate some of these things that are being imposed on us by, by the habits of society, right? But, you know, I think um, uh, the active lifestyle is certainly important. I think having, you know, the, the benefit of, of interacting with, with uh, younger generations because they are typically more active so that's a good thing and as part of that having a a dependent that that is needing your assistance on on an ongoing way really uh, emphasizes life as well so these are the sorts of things to summarize how that would come together
You mentioned a little bit about relationships and staying with the younger generations. Yeah. Something I read recently is that <clears throat> the being antisocial in your later years has the same effect as being a heavy drinker and a heavy smoker. And that is kind of mind-blowing to think about like why. I mean, I, obviously, yes, relationships bring you happiness and brings you many other things. But just the fact that it can have that much of a detrimental effect on your actual biological structures within your body, that is quite mind-blowing to me. And it really opened my eyes to... Because before I had... I was speaking with a... My previous conversation on this podcast, I was speaking with a professor and he was mentioning the like a legacy but like leaving a legacy behind and for instance or for this case an intellectual legacy and this is something that i am really interested in i'm really passionate about leaving something or leaving this world better than the way i found it in terms of scientific pursuit and scientific achievements but what he was saying to me is that as you get older the your the younger or your your desires that you had at a younger age such as intellectual legacy these fade away into the past and the new things become how what are your relationships with your family what is your relationships with your friends what is your relationships with your parents all this and that it once again comes back to the fact that relationships have a very big impact on your health and this is something that i think i personally do not really take into consideration quite often but it's something that i need to work on in the future and I think the same could be said for a lot of other people in my position as well. Yeah, and, and to that end, you know, uh, as you're saying that, it struck me that, um, you know, in, in one case you have people who are vital, maybe they're younger, but they're, they're in the midst of their lives. They're going to school, their jobs, you know, relationships, of, uh, new kids, family, and all that. Um, but as, as one moves forward in life, you find some of these uh, relationships dissipating. I mean, kids move away, kids move out, uh, kids grow up, uh, parents die, all of these sorts of things. Um, so, you know, it, it might, I'm wondering how much of it, uh, is there any component of evolution uh, of a social animal? And I think, you know, uh, humans are one, but I think various other social uh, uh, animals. Um, that uh, the 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 less a person is useful, the more uh, his body is preparing to wither away and, and pass. In other words, um, and I think of the Inuit up north historically, when they couldn't contribute as a grandparent anymore, all that sort of stuff, um, they felt themselves a burden on the, the society, so they took it upon themselves to walk out into a snowdrift to perish. So, you know, maybe um, our bodies and, you know, our mind and body, psychosomatic, that uh, we begin to wither away as uh, the dependence on us and the relationships on us diminishes. One might say that every relationship is a dependency. And as you have fewer and fewer dependencies slash relationships, maybe your body's saying, okay, time to wrap things up and move on. Right, so it might be uh, preordained or built into us. So you know, keeping relationships alive. Now, this is not just you know family relationships or work relationships, but but it's any meaningful relationship, um, because you always think of the the example of the uh, 
the isolated, uh, you know, senior citizen, and um, you know they they are are not in good stead, and they don't live too long. You know, um, the, the the crazy guy up on the top of the hill. Well, he, he will perish soon because he has no um, relationships, no dependencies, and when I say dependencies, I give and take, right? So. Um, um, if he has none of these, then his body might be saying, it's time to wither away and die, right? And now I can go crazy. Now I can not eat. Now I can, you know, have 17 cats and live in filth, you know, all that sort of stuff, because there's nothing anchoring that person, that being, to the larger society. So he can walk off into the snowdrift. So relationships are important, and I think they are... Uh, they, dem they manifest uh, dependencies. And typically, um, you have to have a codependency for a relationship typically to, uh, to uh, exist. One way, uh, people start feeling they're getting used and bye-bye. Um, but, you know, the elder generation brings advice and context and meaning in society and, and all of that. So that's where... and, and uh, babysitting <laughs> right so there's some of that too so yeah it may be just an evolutionary thing yeah speaking to dependencies <laughs> recently i learned about the asakan japanese lifestyle of continuing work up into your later years and it's fascinating because the asakans which is as far as i can recall it's an island in japan or it's an so you're saying so osaka is a city right so maybe this is what you're talking about? I'm, I, it yeah. could be Osaka. I may be yeah. getting this incorrect, but it's some island off of the coast, okay. like some Japanese island. Yeah. They have a lifestyle and a community that assumes you're going to be working into your later years and like a very tight-knit community where the very, there's relationships all around. And this, this uh, community, this lifestyle has contributed to the largest or the most extended lifespan. Like they have the they have the highest average age across the world and wow. from what I've learned in the science behind it I don't know if this is I, can, I can't really back this up this is just what I've heard is that this is based on the fact that they have a tight-knit community they're they're expected to contribute to the society they're expected to provide utility and all of these things like come together to work towards increasing yeah. lifespan yeah and so and I think that's it really, you know, is an example that, um, you know, relationships. And I think, you know, the you know, two hundred years ago, life was founded on relationships. People stayed close to their kin. They stayed uh, in their their own village. They had to do the plowing or or uh, milk the cows, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Um, but it's only the industrialization and the, the modern age. Where, where people are migrating to cities much more than they did in the past. They were sub, subsistence before, and that has broken some of the, the typical societal relationships people would have. So, for instance, how do I find a mate? Well, once upon a time, my mom and her, her uh, group would uh, tie me into this other available uh, lady my age in the same village. Well, that really doesn't happen anymore. So... That's why we have internet dating, right? There's much of that that goes on that really uh, undermines what uh, you know the human state was evolved over the last hundred thousand years, right? Now it's it's 
a little little more isolated and uh, you know um, prosperity in isolation is useful is is the thing um, so you know even where I live I, I have to make it a point of engaging with neighbors because they won't right um, as we all know um, the easy way to engage with neighbors is when you have kids and they have kids all going to the same school, well then you're engaging with them because they're playing together. But after that or, or the empty nesters among us, you know, it tends to be that, uh, you know, neighbors for, for 20 years have never spoken to each other. And that's, that's uh, in, emblematic of the age, but it's a tragedy. Relationships are important. Well, to change gears here now a little bit, I want your opinion on this idea that recently the U.S. government created a department called the Ministry of Truth, and that is uh, that is very reminiscent of the novel 1984. That is pretty much a one-to-one, like they pulled that from there. I want to hear what your opinion is on that. Well... That opens a broad topic. <laughs> I think it's called Ministry of Disinformation. Oh, that's, but, what, that's uh, what it is. That's what it is. Ministry of Disinformation. But you know, in, in many ways, you know, um, you know, this this is becoming all pervasive now, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of like uh, the red pill, blue pill off the matrix. Is how do we even know that we're inside, right? The matrix. You know, it, do we take the was it the red pill to, to be happy inside or the blue pill to get out or have it revealed? But, but you know, um, uh, message management from, from um, you know, governments have occurred forever. Um, you know, in time of war, World War I, you know, you had to message your people. You had to get them all online so you... you uh, you demonize the enemy. Uh, all of you know. There, uh, this has been at play for a long time. However, in this age, in this technology, with the digitized uh, everything and internet, it has become much more effective. And it's so much so that uh, you know. Think of some of the examples, right? Um, you had Stalinism back in the 50s or the 30s and the 40s. And they had secret police, and they had uh, those secret police had a lot of informers who then told on people, and those uh, people would be off to Siberia breaking rocks. Nazis, you know, if you were uh, if you were not uh, speaking the party uh, uh, dogma uh, enough, and you were you were getting followers, well, you you were um, taken away. Um, uh, Pino, uh, Pinochet in Chile, same sort of thing. People were disappeared. Uh, 30,000 people were disappeared for uh, being contrary to that. Um, so, you know, the examples are legion around the world. They go on today. They've always gone on. But now with, um, with uh, the developed countries and, and the notion of uh, the Internet and the fact that uh, it's, you know, uh, the information can be collected in so many ways, so pervasively. You know, we we are now, um, and different countries are now trading this insight. We're getting to a uh, circumstance where um, the power that be, uh, you know, um, is all seeing. Right? It knows everything I do. It knows everything you do. 
Um, it knows what cities you're in, what building you're in. Um, you know, because you are, uh, if you go into a commercial building, you go through the, um, the front desk that takes your ID. So once upon a time, this was all isolated, but now they're being all pulled together. So conceivably, I could trace, you know, any individual, his whole uh, life as well as all his movement because, you know, number one, I've tapped into Google location service for, for your location tracking. So if you think of that and all the cameras that are everywhere, and some may use China as the, the example of the dystopia, but New York City has more cameras per mile than Shanghai, right? You know, uh, there was an example of a news reporter going from, from home to the office in New York City. I think it was the Times or something like that. And along the way, they counted, uh, I think, something like 27 cameras pointed at them. <laughs> it's out there. We don't, we're not aware of these things, right? Or we're not making ourselves aware of them. Um, so, you know, we've gotten to a point where the powers of be are all seeing now. Call it uh, uh, omnipresent. Once you know, or once you see everything, then arguably you can know everything. Um, and then once you know everything, you can do everything. You can become omnipotent. So, you know, with that lead-in, think of the novel 1984, right? And, uh, you know, it has this notion of um, there was the state. Big Brother was the, the leader, the individual, with a cult personality. Around the world, we have many leaders with cult personalities, right? We used to have Ferdinand Marcos in the Philippines. We have many in South America. We have... You know, some would say Boris Johnson. Some would say, you know, a number of people. A Donald Trump was one. Um, there was other presidents in the 1900s that were that. Cult personality. Um, and then you have uh, the notion of um, the, uh, the ministry of truth is what you referred to. So the first question is, who gets to decide what is truth and what is not? Because, you know, there's... When you and I are in a discussion, there's my opinion, your opinion, and somewhere in the middle, there's truth. <laughs> right? So I can't say I own truth, and, and whatever you say, if I disagree with, you're wrong. Right? That's, that's rather arrogant. There's, there's no set of individuals on the planet that should be given that right. right? Um, so, you know, that's some of the, the thoughts. Um, Another thing out of, out of 1984 was this notion of doublethink. And in 1984, again, they had a population around the world that uh, um, the, the authorities were, were keeping in, in quite uh, simplistic uh, notions. They didn't want to have them uh, get involved in sophisticated thinking because they might put two and two together and come up with, we should revolt. So instead, you know, um, 1984 came up with this double think. And again, Stalinism, Nazism, the thought, the thing about double think is um, the concept that there, there's two opposing uh, facts or beliefs that uh, are both uh, told that they're true. And so it puts, uh, so if, if you are expected to 
believe this this concept of you know the uh, white is black, right? Um, if there's enough uh, people saying, well, don't you believe white is black? Don't you believe white is black? Uh, after a while, you start believing white is black, and you forget what you thought before. So that's that's double think, where you have two opposing notions that are in, imbued into people, you know, and and using um, peer pressure to make it so. Um, you know, certainly there's examples of this and more and more of that. You know, as, as a, a student off the West, I think of uh, Iraq and the weapons of mass destruction thing, right? So countries had gone to war on, a, on the flimsiest of excuses by purported evidence uh, which was presented but the true evidence was never was never um, displayed. It was just you know you see this, you see that. Okay, so where's the picture from, etc. So, so um, you know uh, I guess the nation was had gone to war in Iraq on on, on a misfactual basis. Call it a double think, right? Um, you know so. So there's a, there's a lot of these parallels with 1984, the the the, uh, the novel. It turns out it was written in 1948. Switch the two digits, <laughs> right? Based on Stalinism, Nazi and Nazism, but a lot of, there's a lot of parallels to that today, right? Um, and you know, 1984, the 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 uh, um, the novel, quoting Wikipedia. It was to examine the roles of truth and facts within polit politics and how they're manipulated, right? Another concept was newspeak, dumbing down the vocabulary so you can't bring a cogent argument to the fore. What's your thoughts on some of these? Well, just based on what you're saying, I'm kind of <clears throat> torn between the like straw manning what you were saying about the Ministry of Disinformation. Like that kind of seems like a, a slippery slope fallacy where you're saying just because there's this means we're gonna fall into a state of wide <clears throat> wide surveillance. But at the same time, the strongman of that is that in any system when there's regulation that is given, there's never the regulation is never taken back. It's always more regulation. Like for instance you have the Ministry of Disinformation, like they're not going to take that away. They're never going to take that away as they put it in. It's only going to become more strict and more strict. And they could potentially, I'm not saying this is going to happen. I'm just saying there's, based on that argument, the reality of 1984 coming, becoming the truth is pretty, I'm not, it's not, I'm not saying it's a high possibility or low possibility, but just based on that fact, there's a possibility. But going back to what you're saying about the Ministry of Truth, the principle of it, on the surface, it seems like it's a good idea. Just yes, you're gonna counteract the disinformation that is widespread. Like you can you can target Russia, for instance, and they're just all about disinformation. But at the same time, as you mentioned, there is no objective truth to anything. There's your truth. There's my truth. There's something in the middle. There's no like the. I mean, this just comes to like a philosophical sense. Like, what is the, if I'm saying this color on the table is gray? Like, what is gray? There's no truth to what gray is. It's just how we perceive it, and. Speaking on that, there is no objective truth, or there, there is an objective truth in some scenarios, but when it's just hearsay, like there, you can't dictate just because you're the authority, you can't say that this person's correct and this person's incorrect. Yeah, and 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 with that, um, you know, 
every, you know, every country has a viewpoint called a foreign policy that is that resonates with other countries and and is dissonant with other countries. So, you know, we're now at an age where I, you know, even evidence can be manufactured quite easily, sadly. And, and we're at an age where we're not, you know, we're not even demanding our governments produce the proof anymore, right? Um, you know, there's accusations, suppositions, etc. So give me the proof. No proof is offered. It, because it's, it's all that's important is to make the stance, the statement, and have the media pick it up into the maelstrom of, 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 of the media and and it will be in your mind um, you know the next day and it'll be repeated and repeated and repeated everywhere but the underlying evidence was never produced and there's so many examples of that now right that you know we've we've gone post facts right you know our our governments are offering an opinion that we're that uh, or direction for us purportedly, you know, evidence-based, but ne evidence is never, ever produced. So what is it? We are just following the diktat of the government, right? You know, I, there's, uh, there's legions of examples of where's the proof, but even that, right, um, proof can be, man or evidence can be manufactured, sadly. You know, we're, in, we're of that age. Um, you know, so... Um, you know, I'm I'm really uh, you know discouraged to think of how this this uh, this global community works forward when you just have groups uh, you know uh, power blocks that uh, that uh, launch accusations at each other and and their population just be simply believes them because um, the messaging has already demonized the other side, right? I got to believe there's always two sides to a, to a discussion. I got to believe that, but you know, from what I've witnessed in the uh, recent past, the the other side tends to be atrophied quickly because we have a a compliant and supportive media that that dismisses. Right. Um, um, you know, moving into democracy. Right, you know, some of the tenets I thought with democracy is the majority rules, but on the advice of the minority, right? So in, in British parliamentary uh, life, you have two parties in, in a, a legislature or parliament, and um, uh, the, uh, uh, the minority always has criticism of the government, and if if he can, they can arouse enough public support, um, you know the the government is uh, looking to bring in some of their concerns into legislation, or they ignore them entirely, right? But you know history shows that if uh, if a significant major a minority is ignored too long, or even exploited or or used, that's when civil uh, civil wars and revolutions occur, right? And so, you know, I think in some ways uh, the, the minorities in our societies are getting uh, quite muted. And, you know, similar to 1984, th these are the examples of how one mutes the minority. Uh, but in our case, uh, we see that uh, 
there's always just the, the party line or the national line decided by the, uh, the party in power and any other alternative side of that discussion is squelched immediately and powerfully by a compliant media. So the media tends to be more an organ of the government now as opposed to independent because they self-censor themselves. They know what the government line is they, uh, and so they don't allow any, any um, contrary opinions in their, in their media typically. That's why I think Twitter is so powerful because it's removing the need for a big media conglomeration such as CNN or Fox. It's it's giving the power back to the people and any any one person could create a Twitter account and tweet whatever they want and tweet it to the masses. Just depends on how thought out your opinions are and if people are going to yeah. pick up on that. And I think that's very powerful. <clears throat> so did you know one of the aspects about this Ministry of Disinformation or whatever it's being set up? One of the first acts, or the recent thing, is um, that organization wants the ability in Twitter to edit tweets. Right? Cool. Now we get to shape opinion further. So kibosh what you just said. <laughs> I mean, I think with Elon Musk taking over Twitter and his huge, he's a huge proponent of free speech, he has mentioned that editing tweeting or editing tweets is something that they're interested in doing. Obviously, they're going to have to take the required or the the necessary measures to show that a tweet has been edited, so that you can't tweet something very general and then have millions of people retweet it and then change that and then essentially change those people's voices. But to take a step back and go into a different direction now, I like to end off every podcast with mm-hmm. people and my guests' philosophical views. So for you, if you were in my position, what would you? be telling yourself if you could go back in time what what advice would you give yourself ah well um you know take uh take the big chances you know um live long and fruitful build relationships um you know contribute to society in meaningful ways you know not just about yourself you know uh, join big brothers big sisters right um be daring uh make it a better world uh, think the best of people, but be aware of of what uh, what is uh, working in society and how it operates, and um, you know, uh, and work accordingly, right? Because you know, I, I see truth; it has to be balanced, and so that's one of the. I'm a student of that aspect, so that's, that's some of the the points of view I would have uh, uh, being brought forward. Glad for the time to talk. No, don't worry. There's actually one more question. It's the most mm-hmm. important question of all. What is your meaning of life? And if, you, if you're having difficulty answering that, you can change that to what is something that you wake up every day and you look forward to doing? Well, meaning of life, um, you know, to be a better person, to be in society, make society better for what it can be, to alleviate pain in others. Um, one of the things uh, I always try to do is is see the, the person in the convenience store ahead of me and trying to imagine the burdens that that person is carrying uh, because you can empathize uh, and, and be better so that way you're, you're treating people nicer. So maybe that is, is kind of a, what you're looking for there. But. All right, well, that was a great way to end it. Thank you very much for joining me. Before we go our separate ways, I want to share a quote by Dr. Richard Feynman. 
The first principle is that you must not fool yourself, and you are the easiest person to fool. If you like this podcast, then please give my channel five stars on your preferred podcasting platform. Thank you for tuning in, and until next time.